Cheers. To us. <laughs> and everybody who's listening. Yeah, and to you. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our third episode. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this episode is going to be quite the treat. Um, it's one of my favorite topics ever, talking about vampires. Hello. The best thing ever. Um, we have a lot in store for you. We're probably going to break it up into a couple of different episodes, but before we get started, let's pull... Let's pull, pull the card. Let's pull the card. Oh, is that the one? I think there's two that came out, <gasps> so it's probably... La-dee-da-dee. Oh, we got Strength and Temperance. I really love this deck. It's beautiful. Where'd you get it? I think it's from the the Full Moon, the Moon Bookstore. I love that bookstore. Yeah. That's one of my favorite bookstores. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, we have Temperance and Strength. Those are both major arcana cards or major arcana cards, um, which oftentimes paint a bigger picture. When we have minor arcana cards, it's talking about sort of short-lived experiences or... I don't want to say insignificant, but they're just not as big picture thinking as major arcana cards. And these are both really beautiful and almost peaceful cards. Mm. Like we have Temperance, which has this sort of angelic androgynous figure, which um, in cultic and classic occult spaces the androgynous sort of figure that is not neither male or female is often seen as supremely divine mm. because it's balanced in both sides of themselves. And that's oftentimes what um, like traditional cult stuff from England is always striving towards. There was always striving towards this like ultimate balance. Mm. So, um, yeah, so we see that kind of here in temperance. We see the blending of two cups and finding that perfect alchemy, that perfect balance between two different objects. Mm. And then it creates this idea of enlightenment, which you see on their heads is this like light shining on their crown chakra, on their third eye mm. of just like true enlightenment. Mm. And they have these red wings and red typically means power in um symbolism in western symbolism at least mm -hmm. so it means like really getting in touch with your own power we see them fully immersed in their environment they're not struggling they have their feet in the water they're in nature they're with flowers there's some mountains behind them which could suggest like difficult journeys that mm. they've gone through before but they've now come out of it to this really peaceful water area yeah, it's a beautiful card. And oftentimes I think about this card, like, what does it mean to temper something? Like, to, like, temper chocolate is often what comes to my mind. And it's kind of creating this perfect system of, like, being delicate while also being strong. Mm. And because that's what happens when you temper chocolate is mm. you're trying to make it a strong enough vessel to do whatever you're trying to do. Mm. Um 
you kind of have to work with like the chemistry of the chocolate itself. So it's not too fragile to the point where it breaks, Mm -hmm. but it's also strong enough to, to hold when it cools down. Mm. So, so that could be an easy representation of just even you and I coming together and how can we find like that nice balance of your background, your knowledge, my background, my knowledge, and just, this is us. This is us. Yeah. That's beautiful. Perfectly divine. Oh. I know, right? And then we have strength, which is kind of funny because it reminds me of Charlie, like the kitty. Oh, my cat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like petting the kitty, you know? And strength is another really great card, too, because it talks about um, sometimes when we think of strength, we think about it as this form of intensity, but Mm -hmm. strength can be um, soft-spoken, too. Mm. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be um, like really, you don't have to be aggressive to be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, you yep. can be a strong person while also being shy or quiet or mm-hmm. um, like in your solitude. Yeah. And so the deck that we're using, there's also an infinity symbol mm-hmm. above, um, was this a, a woman figure? Yeah. Above her head. Does that have anything to do with it? Yeah. So this infinity symbol, especially when it's like around your head, you see the infinity symbol show up in the the magician card too. And it means like kind of being connected to the infinite source, you know, that infinite loop of that higher knowledge that things are always just going to keep happening and mm-hmm. we just ride the waves of fate. And the sooner that you make peace with it, it's kind of like the sooner you get enlightened, Mm. you know, that there's always going to be some sort of chaos, but it's really, how do you remain calm in crisis? Mm. How do you, um, remain true to yourself and your ethics when you're put in circumstances that really test you, Mm -hmm. you know, these are such good cards. They are great cards and specifically like in the context of what we're doing right now, we're using our own sort of strength, but you see that her strength is like almost graciousness, mm-hmm. you know? There's um, flowers on her dress and even, you know, on her head. I'm pretty sure. Does she even have hair? Kind of looks it's like It's almost it. kind of like, yeah, it's almost like those flowers are kind of growing from her hair. Totally. Mm-hmm. But again, you have the water at their feet. You had the mountains and the landscape behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like both of these cards, I just like, what comes to mind is just peace. Mm. Like both of these cards are really peaceful, really relaxed, and there's no need to stress, you know, just enjoying our company. Yeah. You know? That's good. That's a good way to start the episode. (laughs) Yeehaw. All right. Back to vampires. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So... Today we're talking about vampires because if you're like Paloma and I, we don't want the spooky season to just be one month, even one day of the year. And even though Halloween has passed, it's always in our hearts. Always in our hearts. <laughs> always. <laughs> if I could be, if I could just look outside and see the leaves and have that cool fall breeze, if that could just be. Yeah. Every day of the year for me, that'd be great. So, yeah, we're talking about vampires today. Vampires. Before we get into the history and the types of vampires, what's like 
When did you really start getting into vampires? You know the answer to this question. It's Twilight. Twilight. Yep. I think, honestly, that could have been a lot of a lot of awakenings for a lot of people when Twilight came out. Yeah. Not the movies, like the books. Mm-hmm. And I was in middle school. Yep. Yeah. And it was that perfect combination of like, because what you had brought up in a previous episode of you could relate to Bella. You're like, oh, I am her. Right. Like you're reading the books. You're like, yes, 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 yes. I want to live in Forks. And yes, yes, I want to, you know, be dating a vampire. But then I also want to like kind of yeah. have an in with the werewolves. And then I yeah. kind of, it just seems so great. <laughs> yeah. And then the movies came out and they're still great. And I still rewatch them and I rewatched them last week. And it's a regular thing that I do, but I think it's that started a huge shift in just I wanted to just dive completely into that of like that way of life. Not like I'm gonna carve my teeth like like that, but I just I just became obsessed for the longest time. And so vampires have always had like a special place in my heart where Anytime they're brought up in a story or a movie or in conversation, it's just, I feel like I'll never get enough. Yeah. So true. And I think like a lot of people, how you're talking about, like it was awakening for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think arguably, and I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the answer (laughs) or the facts. However, I do feel like, you know, with a lot of mythical creatures, these sorts of stories and archetypes they stick with us and I think they've just been with us for a long time Mm -hmm. like there's something about a vampire that's always ancient Mm -hmm. that's always you know um old world and so I think people have always been kind of drawn to vampires because they're very primal and they kind of remind Mm -hmm. us of our like our primal selves Mm -hmm. um which was with us since the beginning of like human existence yep so I think there is like a collective sort of fascination Mm. with these things because there is a magic to them. And in a sense, they are creatures that don't exist, but they kind of do exist within Mm -hmm. each and every one of us. (laughs) Even if we don't have fangs or, um, you know, drink blood per se, there's still parts of that. How many times have you had a red beverage? Yeah. And just kind of be like, oh, this... I'm a vampire. Just pretend. No, I'll just do, for a little bit. I'll do you one better. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when Twilight came out, I was obsessed with it. So I would go onto these like forums online of how to tell if you're a vampire. So I wanted to be a vampire so bad that I would go onto these forums. And this is when like computers were still dial up too. Oh, so no. it was like I the internet those days. was slow yep. and like all the sites were sketchy and weird. And So it took you an hour to just oh, even get to the forum. <laughs> literally. Yes. And then I would just like, I'd look at it every day to see what people had posted. And there would be things like, if you have a brown iris Ooh. around your pupil that means you're a vampire like it was just the most ridiculous sorts of, <laughs> sorts of symptoms of vampirism um so i remember thinking that i was very i wanted to be one so bad and then they were all like you know like goth or 
you know, like, yeah. nobody was legit a vampire, I don't think. But we all had this obsession with it. And also, I think Twilight just created, mm-hmm. like, a societal obsess- obsession yep. with it. Yep. At least in American society. Yeah. Yeah, because then we got Vampire Diaries after that. We True got Blood. True Blood. Interview um, with a Vampire. Well, well that, that was before. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Blade. Oh, yep. Yep. Then the... Um, what's the movie with Kate Beckinsale? The um, where she's like a oh no, that's a no no no. Um, where's the werewolf vampire combo? Under Underworld. Under, <gasps> underworld. Right. Yes, the Underworld. Series. The underworld. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, it's like, and I and it's not like we're giving all the credit to Twilight because it's it's not like Stephanie Meyer did not create this. But it gained such a huge following and got so much traction when it was released that all these other things just, it's almost like they just got bumped up. Definitely. Like, they just like skyrocketed. And so, yes, Interview with a Vampire was out mm-hmm. long before Twilight, but people probably didn't even give it a chance. Definitely. Well, until, it was also, yeah. I mean, it was also, Interview with a Vampire was so vulgar. In a lot of ways, but I feel like Twilight was palatable mm. for like yeah. you know families. Yep. Um, but I do think it kind of awakened. until like the last movie. Oh the gosh, last yeah. couple of movies where I'm like, mm, I know, I was like, really, it's not really family friendly anymore. No, she's dead. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about the honeymoon. Oh, right. <laughs> I was talking about the like birth scene with where she like dies giving birth. Oh. Yeah, she's like a shriveled up Bella. Oh yeah, yeah. we're just we're th- on two different wavelengths right now. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Well, but yeah, no, yes, that that also was not family friendly. <laughs> yes. So, kind of wanted to bring that up because I think like, yes, it's pop culture that's kind of made it popular, but arguably these things have these things have been around for a long time. It's not just modern century where we have a fascination with it you know there was a what is it the great new england vampire panic back in like the 1700s where people were freaking out in colonial america that vampires were out to get them Mm -hmm. eastern europe there was different hysterias of Mm -hmm. vampires i am i went to last time i went to new york i went to the ripley believe it or not museum and i know it was ridiculous but (laughs) They had a section dedicated to medieval torture devices and also like vampire oh, stuff. I, I know it's messed up, but that's always so fascinating. I know. It's like the Iron Maiden. They had an yep. Iron Maiden there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but they had a vampire hunter's kit that was from England from like the medieval ages. And it's just so crazy to think that our obsession with vampires is new. Like, it's this, like everyone's been obsessed yeah. with vampires for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. So what did the kit include? How how do you kill a vampire? Was it a like a vampire hunting? Right. Like d- like devices of like, hey, I'm gonna go like hunt some elk, and so here's like the equipment I need to be wearing. I mean, or it, was it? It wasn't like a bow and arrow. Oh, like okay. it wasn't like that. But they specifically had just like all the typical stuff that you've heard from Buffy the vampire you need a, a wooden stake you how need long a cross though? how long of a wooden stake I mean not three feet long like your presidential <laughs> vampire you just want to be sure 
It was like holy water was in the kit, um, rosary, uh, garlic. I don't think they had that... garlic in that kit, okay. not the Ripley's one, but, okay. but, but like, you know, the m- more Catholic memorabilia. Oh, like a cross? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But your presidential <laughs> Oh, one. yes. It's, um, so we are going to be taking some, some little factoids from this book that I've had for a little bit now, but it's called The Mythical Creatures Bible by Brenda Rosen, and... I mean, it's a fascinating read, no matter what. There, it, This is filled with all the... It literally is the Mythical Creatures Bible. I mean, that's the title. So, um, But there was a, a instance of under the... It was talking about presidential vampires, which I'm like, that's something I haven't heard of. But the story goes that back in Serbia in March of 2007, self-proclaimed vampire hunters broke into the tomb of i'm going to completely mispronounce this but uh slobodan milosevic who is the infamous former president of serbia and yugoslavia so apparently the vandals drove a three feet long wooden stake through his heart and into the ground to keep the much despised leader from returning from the dead to haunt the country so that's insane who who decides how long of a wooden stake i don't know why is it three feet to make sure that he can't like get up and I don't know like is he... you are staying here. I we guess. are you will never never move and never haunt us ever. I just I'm interested because apparently he was a pretty bad person if they didn't want him returning to I mean, haunt the country. So I guess and that happened pretty recently. I know that's 2007. That's the thing because it's like it reminds me of those colonial vampires where basically what happened is in colonial times people didn't realize that when a body decomposes it'll make like breathing sounds mm-hmm. and it'll um like the hair and nails will continue like the oxygen growing. and then the co2 it's like releasing yep yeah mm-hmm. so when they bury the bodies it it like it it still made noises noises and then they would redig up the body just to make sure that it was still dead oh. but it but it would still be in that decomposing process so it would still be making those noises and like the hair and the nails would continue growing so they just assumed that they were still alive alive oh and so but you know what the craziest thing is what so i heard this when i was doing my vlad the impaler project in in high school <laughs> <laughs> um that they, their cure, like the, the colonials thought that the cure to vampire, like vampirism, like if their family member was a vampire and they opened up the grave and, and they still thought that they were alive and were a vampire, they would have to eat the heart of the person. So it's like in a way to kill the vampire, they had to become vampiric, which it was just like such a crazy reasoning. So you'd have these people who would like eat the hearts of their loved ones who they thought were vampires. And so then in that way, yeah, they kind of turn into like their own little monster. Yeah. Because I see that you you have here noted um the difference between vampires and cannibalism of like yeah, you're uh, <laughs> yeah. Really what is like the line that's drawn that sort of thing? Cuz like I also, you know, in our vampire phase when I was in 
like when Twilight was really popping. <laughs> I had friends that would be like, oh my God, I'm such a vampire. I love blood. And they would just like, whenever they'd get a cut, they would just, just like slurp their blood. <laughs> Thinking that they're a vampire. <laughs> but they were really just being gross and nasty. Yeah. No. But it, it, maybe it, they have an iron deficiency or something. I mean, for sure. I don't know. I don't think it tasted good to them. They just wanted. <laughs> but I want Edgar, Edward Cullen to no, exactly. come into my room while I'm sleeping. So I'll drink my blood. I don't know. So I'll drink my own blood. <laughs> like it, the logic. That's the thing is the logic with these things doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But again, it like teeters on that idea of cannibalism yep. versus um, vampirism, which mm-hmm. I think is like a good way to go into like a lot of historical vampires that you see around the world, mm-hmm. like different cultures. They have ones where they kind of teeter between vampiric, cannibalistic, and almost zombie-like. Mm. Like yeah. before we started this episode, we were looking at... Um, just online some Hindu vampires mm-hmm. and they have a whole it's seemingly because we're not the experts on this but they seemingly had like a whole list of different vampires that were very similar but one would be more cannibalistic than the other and so mm-hmm. it had a different name one would be more um, related to corpses and um, so so that that line that's crossed all the time between cannibalism, vampirism, and zombies tends to tends to be blurred a lot of the times. And so in that case, let's like start just going into different type of vampires. Let's do it. Just because when I started this research, I was just like probably most people who are like, well, what? There's multiple. Like when you had even talked about, hey, let's do a vampire episode. I'm like, there's different types of vampires i thought it was just the one kind and then you start going down this this rabbit hole of there's so many different types of vampires yeah there's okay you got your blood drinkers or the sanguine vampires is that Mm -hmm. how you pronounce it yeah you have your psi vampires Mm -hmm. which are going to be so it says that they don't physically harm their victims but they still slowly extract life from evil, from like a single person or crowds of people, um, for the most part, you can't really notice when they're feeding off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much like the effects are like short-term or long-term fatigue. But then you have your empathic vampires. They feed off the emotions of people. You have your elemental vampires. They feed off of the elements. So like fire, wind, lightning, all those things. Your sexual vampires, which... I mean, self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah self-explanatory. Yeah. There, um, you have your soul vampires, which I would—I don't know if you happen to know the the big difference. So, between empathic vampire and soul vampire, yeah, because a lot of these 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 kind of mix, mm-hmm. and and I feel like they overlap in a lot of ways. But from my understanding, with like a soul vampire, is that when we think about a soul, we think about it as kind of like that etheric energy that we hold within us okay. you know like that sort of life source energy mm-hmm. within us which is our soul and that's different than our emotions okay you know so somebody feeding off our emotions versus feeding off our like our essence okay you know? okay and so then i mean and this doesn't even yeah like there's there's genetic vampires mm-hmm. which i found it's the scientifically created vampires so like 
um, the children in Vampire and Human Intercourse, where they possess some but not all of vampire mm-hmm. powers. You have apparently the insane vampire, which wow. when you're being converted to a vampire, sometimes that can induce mental illness or right. kind of create a vampire that can be easily controlled. And then I even found that there's even a disfigured vampire. Wow. Where it just, if you <laughs> yeah, prolonged life as a vampire or a bad conversion can induce disfiguration and rotting flesh. Wow. So that... I mean, and I'm sure there's even more (laughs) beyond that, because then it's also like we have these, you know, types, but Mm -hmm. then every culture has their very specific criteria of what their vampire looks like, too. Yep. You know, so like. um, I mean, you you already said Eastern European vampires, which I think are probably going to be the most like the most commonly known for sure. But then in, in the same mythical creatures Bible that I'm, that I'm referencing, you have your Greek vampires, your Chinese vampires, your American vampires. You've already go are already gone over the presidential vampires, but then you have your, your Hindu Australian vampires. You have the Philippines and central American vampires. Mm -hmm. It just, it goes on because it's something that every single culture has experienced everyone's fascinated by it and there's always stories but they're just they just differ a little bit from each other yeah just like slightly different Mm -hmm. but it it is interesting that like every culture well not every culture i'm not going to assume that every single culture but like a lot of different cultures around the world can kind of have this general idea of some sort of vampiric creature existing in their world Mm -hmm. you know in their culture it exists So I think it like shows us that as humans, why do we need that? You know, Mm -hmm. we can argue like, okay, what if these don't legitimately exist, but maybe it's a symbol for like our internal world. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has more psychological reasons or symbols that we believe in them. Mm -hmm. Some people really believe that they do exist. And some people just believe that these stories are just symbols for the human psyche. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting that regardless, we kind of need them to exist to a certain degree to mm-hmm. make sense of our world. So going back to the the different cultures around the world and their own vampires. And again, I apologize because I am going to butcher these names like no other. Same. Um. <laughs> we don't mean to. It's just like... It's a lot of different names, and when you're doing a lot of different cultures, it's really hard to understand their rules of language. I, yes, and we, of course, will put a link to to the book that I'm referencing. We'll put a link in the bio, because um, I definitely recommend that everyone owns this book, because it's, it's just so fun to read about all these different stories. So, um, so let's see, Greek vampires... See, here's the first word. I'm going to butcher it. Is it known as Rylolakas? Dope. Vampires are believed to be the spirit of a deceased person who has not been properly mourned or whose body has not been given the proper rites. The spirit might linger around the corpse and reanimate it. As Recently, as the early as 20th century, corpses were exhumed and examined after three years to make sure the body was decayed. If the corpse was stiff and swollen like a drum, in parentheses, uh, in quotations, 
the person was believed to have become a vampire. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what the colonial people believe, too. And so it's like, where do you, like, draw the line of you know, human ignorance of that mm-hmm. they just didn't know how science worked and yep. how the body decomposes and also legitimate, you know, reasons. Because how about this? Do you believe vampires exist for realsies? I don't want to say, I don't want to say no completely. Right. Because you never really know. I think that's how people feel about aliens. You know, it's like, I haven't seen one personally, but <laughs> <laughs> the world is vast. It is the ocean. Hello. Yeah. Hello, space. I wouldn't be surprised if we tried to kind of understand a creature like this and eventually like we come across one and it's completely different yeah. than what we yeah. had thought. They're I mean, like, wait, you thought we were like that? Jeez, like, <laughs> wow, how ignorant are you? <laughs> no, exactly. Like with the mermaid things of yep. how people are like, you think it's just like this beautiful woman and it's just like this weird fish thing. <laughs> Aliens aren't like these short little people with huge heads. <laughs> exactly. I think it's like, it's hard. There's this quote, I forget um, who it's by, but it's basically this quote of like, you become what you're obsessed with. So the more that you're obsessed with an idea, I think the more that you become it. So I'm sure that there are people who are obsessed with vampires that like have become vampiristic in a certain way, you know? And I'm sure that like, I believe that there could be strong enough magic and energetic forces that could create something like that. I just don't know. Like you said, how does it exactly manifest? Yeah. Like, does it, is it just like a human, but just, you know, needs blood? Is it exactly like the character traits of a human or, um, or is it like more like monster looking? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really know, but I do believe that there are energetic forces and like magical powers that can be, that can be done to make something like that. You know, or someone was just having a really, really bad dream and then they saw something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it was real. I promise. Yeah. I I find it really fascinating. The, um, the difference. So I'm, I'm going in and I'm reading the Hindu, like the Hindu um, vampire. It says in Hindu folklore, Avatala is a vampire like spirit that haunts cemeteries in inhibits corpses in order to move around um so kind of like a host right but then um this one i'm going to completely butcher another type of vampire is the yara mayahu of australia which is a little red man who sucks his victim's blood through his sucker-like hands and feet and i just keep on thinking about like an octopus or a squid of some sort yes indeed and it's almost like this really bad dream that someone would have like a nightmare yeah it's yeah i just i don't know unless this is actually like people have actually come across these creatures yeah like how do they i i just i don't know yeah i mean going back on like hindu like even the goddess kali you know is kind of a vampire in her own right because she's like consuming blood um 
in a vampiric way. And so a lot of these creatures are just parasitic, mm-hmm. you know, like looking for the host mm-hmm. and they're just parasitic. And so, yeah, where do we draw it of like, we're talking about the symbol of parasitic people, you know, like going back to psychic vampires mm-hmm. that, um, like, I think we've all had an experience about people, someone in their life that really felt like they were draining you, mm-hmm. you know, and they're kind of feeding off of your energy so they always wanted to hang out or the only time that they ever wanted to hang out they wanted to kind of take advantage of you in Mm -hmm. a certain way in a very parasitic way so what does are we talking about that are we talking about our own primal desire for blood Mm -hmm. you know because that's the thing about the sort of archetype of a vampire is it's very primal Mm -hmm. it's very sexual Mm -hmm. and um, it's very wild. Yeah. And so I feel like, especially in the modern age, we're always trying to come to terms with our very like wild side mm-hmm. and our like very, you know, tame side mm-hmm. of humanity that's supposed to be logical. Yeah. You know, so it's like our logical versus our illogical sides of humanity. Do we just use the story of a vampire as mm-hmm. a way to tell us about ourselves? Yeah. Where it's almost like, the stereotype, the archetype of the vampire. Of, I would think the ideal situation for a vampire is exactly, um, I mean, and again, back to Twilight, the, um, what was that group? The, the Vir- Vitelli? The, Vir- the, the, the Volturi. The Volturi. Yep. Yes. Where I, that's exactly what I imagine vampires all the right? time. Yeah. Yep. Like where you're in this colonial garb, you are elegant you are wealthy you are um you're very attractive just like perfect looking and you're you seem very put together and proper and you know all that stuff but then you have like this beast side that once it gets activated turns into something completely different where it's like yeah that's kind of actually like how I feel (laughs) like and I kind of it's like talk about the psyche where you want to present yourself a certain way to society, to others around you. And then, but really what's going on internally or behind closed doors is something completely different. I think it, yeah, I think it makes sense like tapping into the psyche and Mm -hmm. like, yeah, the Volturi is a perfect example of like an ideal vampire, but also an ideal human. You Mm -hmm. get all the benefits, Mm -hmm. you get wealth, you get social class, um, you get unlimited resources, you are immortal, you are, um, like, perfectly youthful. Mm -hmm. So it's like, vampirism also kind of represents the ideal, especially in this day and age, I think it represents, like, the ideal world that you would want to live in, Mm -hmm. you know, the fountain of youth, Mm -hmm. perfect health, Mm -hmm. um, you're indestructible really you have powers that gives you advantage over others Mm -hmm. so i think it's like we feel so drawn to it because we kind of want to feel like we're wild and that we can't be um hurt by others Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. there's a level of protection with that so talking about kind of like the positive stereotypes yeah let's go into the negative stereotypes there are some negative stereotypes. Yeah. It gets kind of heavy. It does. Yeah. Because that's the thing. So I think one of the first things that comes to mind is 
like going back to how our most common perception of vampires is that Eastern European vampire Mm -hmm. um, myth because different cultures have different kind of twists on what like the details of what makes a vampire Mm -hmm. but for eastern europe oftentimes there is like some correlation of it being rooted in anti-semitism of how back in the day jews were really wealthy um and powerful in eastern europe and some have argued that these myths of vampires kind of started really popping up as a way to kind of be propaganda mm-hmm. for anti-Semitism because they talk about these really wealthy people who are basically untouchable, um, but we don't like them because they kill us. They kill us, the human people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of vampirism is associated with evil, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. demonic energy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and Jews typically aren't Christian. So if mm-hmm. you don't necessarily believe in you know, evil or demons the same way that Jews mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. then you can kind of use that against them. Mm-hmm. You know, saying like you're evil, you're demonic, yep. all of these things. So using, oh, the mainstream religious belief to yeah. alienate others. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. All the story in the book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see that oftentimes with like, I think before Twilight, vampires definitely had like this negative connotation even in movies like blade Mm -hmm. they like vampires were the evil characters Mm -hmm. even in interview with vampire Mm -hmm. we do kind of romanticize them but at the end of the day like the moral of the story of interview with the vampire is that they live a really tragic life Mm -hmm. so they it may seem cool but you don't actually want to be like them yep yep it wasn't until twilight that we actually see these like positive traits yeah about vampires yep yeah. Yeah. And I could be spunky and quirky like Alice from yes. Twilight. Yeah. But still be a like, good person. Well, yeah, because what I really like is how they focus on how each vampire has their own special power, mm-hmm. which goes into this, yeah, that unique individualism. I think that's also kind of like a metaphorical way of just saying, like, yeah, like, I don't know, like, uh, the, the connection of, you eat like everyone here has their own unique skills abilities you know what they bring to the table and vampires can very much be that way too and so i think that makes it that much more relatable of like they're not so different from you and i like okay yeah they don't need to eat or sleep or or breathe or (laughs) (laughs) or blink (laughs) or blink and they and they shimmer like diamonds in the sun um whereas i just get sunburned but (laughs) um it's just again i think that it made it such a um relatable where it wasn't that far off yeah of like oh okay yeah no it doesn't seem that scary anymore and it kind of makes it a lot more um back to the um the psyche of just like oh i can very easily see myself like that yeah and it goes back to are they actually monsters or is it just kind of how we feel like inside on a regular basis yeah of you know definitely yeah well especially to go back to some negative stereotypes Mm -hmm. is that um sometimes they're portrayed as very hedonistic and very like vain and Mm -hmm. very much about material wealth 
So about money, about beauty, mm-hmm. about vanity and um, lust and all yeah, that. Yep. Exactly. All the, the the sins and all yes. these um impure and the bad qualities to have. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially in um American society that is so Christian influenced. Mm-hmm. Um where those things were seen as the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. So of course they were seen as like demonic and and vampires is a very good way to kind of bunch all of those seven deadly sins into one thing, you know, gluttony, vanity, lust, um mm-hmm. that it's kind of convenient to wrap it all into one pretty bow of just yep. like one bad thing and to create a fear around that. Mm-hmm. And it does go back into shadow work because mm-hmm. these are all these things that we're told to feel shame about ourselves and vampires are known for living in the shadows. They are in the underworld parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And But when you release that shame, you can kind of learn freedom from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where like those positive connotations can come in where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, vampires are seen as very materialistic, like very wealthy, but what is wrong with wealth? Mm Because you don't really, like, especially in modern adaptations of vampires, you don't really see them abusing their wealth. Mm -mm. (laughs) They're just kind of just, they're just able to freely live and do whatever they want to do. It's almost like their way of life is so simple because they don't have to worry about, like, going to the grocery store and buying food. Like every time I go to the grocery store, I'm spending at least $200 and it's ridiculous. Whereas I'm like, damn, if I was a vampire, I just go, I'll just catch myself an elk over there. Just walk down the street. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, grab one of these squirrels. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Um, I would be, I guess what would they consider a vegetarian vampire? Right. Um, I'm not drawn to the idea of a squirrel. Well, I was going to say hunting a human, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two different. <laughs> we would be two completely different vampires. <laughs> right, right. I'm over here with my squirrel dinner. <laughs> well, because that's like the other thing is that like we see vampires as being really bad because they, you know, they have human blood and and they're killing another, which is also seen as. But they're like, also cold blooded. Yeah. And. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't check out. Sometimes it really doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't add up. But it's also like, I think that's something that we're kind of lacking, lacking in the modern age where I definitely felt this when I was living like on the res and I was just more attuned to that way of life is um, we're kind of missing that piece of death mm. in like the modern age and especially mm. in um, urban living where we forget we're always trying to run away from death, mm-hmm. you know? And so you see that in a lot of urban hotspots where mm-hmm. people are always, you know, trying to look as youthful as possible. They're mm-hmm. always trying to do all the coolest health trends to, you know, prolong death as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think why some people take offense to vampires is that you see them killing another human being and mm-hmm. we think like, oh my gosh, that's so horrible to kill one another. But mm-hmm. Humans have always been dying for the dumbest reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there a a movie? No, wasn't there a TV show of like a thousand ways to die? Oh my God. No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like we've always like, 
we've always humans have never had good reasons to die the like, amount of people who have died by trying to like get a snack out of the vending machine oh no, exactly <laughs> i was watching a video on that the other day honestly i'd rather go out by a vampire killing me you know same <laughs> exactly and so it's like we're always trying to like we think of this paradise world where it's like oh in this ideal paradise people aren't dying pointlessly or like violently because we think that that's like the ultimate what nature wanted us for us but mm-hmm. when we look at nature nature is so violent nature like animals kill each other for food reasons too mm-hmm. just the way that vampires theoretically do mm-hmm. sometimes animals taunt each other and like play with each other as a food. game yeah mm-hmm. before they kill each other like yeah. um nature is really violent mm-hmm. we have parasites that are part of our ecosystem um that's why the last of us just right when i mean because i played the the games Mm -hmm. but as soon as the tv show came out and that was a whole nother craze of cordyceps and and just yeah looking at um those kind of oh yeah parasites and it oh yeah nature is scary nature is terrifying i mean maggots hello (laughs) i hate i hate worms they terrify me oh i'm scared of worms not earthworms oh we love earthworms but like tapeworms (laughs) bye oh yeah no (laughs) yeah yeah deep fear no thank you (laughs) (laughs) but it's like to go back to you know part of why we demonize vampires is we see them as like killing innocent people blah 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 but it's like innocent people die all the time Mm. and we don't make peace with that reality Mm. and that's like part of what i think the archetype in the story of vampire mythology is it shows us that we are never too far away from like the hand of death Mm -hmm. so it Mm kind of shows us to value this precious life source which Mm -hmm. is represented through the symbol of blood Mm -hmm. you know if that is our life source and how precious that is Mm -hmm. i also think that the story of the vampire shows us the importance of protecting our peace and protecting our energy because Mm -hmm. You know, there are things like psychic vampires where Mm -hmm. people are, you know, trying to take advantage of you or Mm -hmm. trying to um, use you Mm -hmm. for your precious time Mm -hmm. and energy, which are also life sources that you can't get back. Mm -hmm. Once it's gone, it is gone. Mm -hmm. So I think the story of the vampire teaches us, like, how do we protect ourselves from people like that because mm-hmm. there are people out there who are specifically hunting others like you know people who've been in really bad relationships mm-hmm. where the partner is abusive or takes advantage of the other um it's like it teaches you that you need to be aware that these things exist mm-hmm. even if it is through the allegory of a vampire yep yeah yep i'm really bad at letting other people kind of control my emotions or letting those things affect me. And I'm kind of like a sponge like that. Um, and so I, I think, you know, when I was researching about the different types of vampires, um, the emotional vampire, it (laughs) makes you think of the TV show, the, what we do in the shadows, (laughs) (laughs) where you have all these scary stereotypical vampires and they're doing their, you know, they're sleeping in the coffins and they're hanging from the ceiling and they're doing all those kind of things. And then you have the, the what was his name in this show? He was, um, he plays, um, yeah. Who does he play? He's in the office. He plays, um, yes. Uh, the character that plays Nate in the office. Um, 
and I haven't watched what we do in the shadows enough. Um, but I remember that one particular episode where <laughs> you're introduced to him and everyone just dreads him coming into the room because yes. he's an emotional vampire that just like sucks all of the the energy the the happy feelings everything from the room and everyone's like oh no here he comes and i'm like there's people like that in life all the time totally i'm like no don't come near me like do not like i do not want you to take you know any of this like you're just going to ruin the vibes you're going to ruin the flow and um, and so I just, it's just so relatable. Yeah. And I think when you start doing research about any of these kind of mythical creatures, any of these kind of monsters, right? Quote unquote monsters, you find so many similarities of yes. real life and they've just been, yeah, you kind of exaggerate a little bit. I like a little fan, like fantasy touch to it, but it's like, no, it's I know vampires stuff. in my real life. Yes. So going back to your original question, um, I think vampires really, I, really, really exist. Definitely. <laughs> I agree. And like, there are people who are really like that. You know, like we, we've all met people who are like addicted to the drama, mm-hmm. you know, like they feed off of the drama. So mm-hmm. they're always trying to cause chaos mm-hmm. in their life or other people's lives mm-hmm. just to get some sort of satisfaction from that. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why those sorts of vampires exist is because they can't feed off of good things in their own life or they can't. And that's the thing about when we break down the symbol of a vampire is they can't generate their own life source Mm -hmm. or their like own energy source. So they have to feed off of it through another host or another source. So when we think about people who are like real life vampires, they do not have the energy within them to create and generate life-giving energy in their own lives. So they have to feed off of that life-giving energy from others. Like I've had instances where people, um, you know, like when you're like a a shoulder to cry on or whatever, Mm -hmm. or you're just like a really good listener and how people take advantage of that. Like Mm -hmm. I remember specifically in my youth, I was like kind of- Are you not still in your youth? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm 55. Your old golden girl. My youth <laughs> when I was five. <laughs> yes. I, I guess more specifically, like when I was a teenager, I was kind of, um, I was outgoing, but I was also really private and mm. shy. Mm-hmm. And I remember having, um, like growing up in the church or I would always just end up in the situation where I'd be at a friend's house and then their parents would end up like trauma dumping their whole life onto me. Oh my gosh. And it was like your kids, so you don't really know. And so you're just listening, but of course you're a kid. So you kind of inherently have that like positive energy and that optimism. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I would like try to cheer up these adults around me, but that was like a kind of a form of like vampirism where yeah. like they're just taking advantage of me. Mm-hmm. As being like a positive and optimistic small human, a human to talk about like their own messed up stuff. So it's like, I think it's more common than we think. And I think if we do like if we're unchecked within ourselves, Mm -hmm. it's easy to do that because basically it just means that you're not generating a fulfilling life Mm -hmm. in yourself. So Mm -hmm. you have to find fulfillment through like others, Mm -hmm. you know. So how can we make sure that we're not being vampires to all the other people in our lives. 
That's a great question, Haley. That is a great question. So I think that we can actually twist the idea of vampirism into a positive thing. Yes. Yeah. So it's like that empathetic vampire, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like you can feed off the positive energies in a room without taking away from it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how you can actually feed off of that goodness is when you're adding to it. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't mean that you're always having to generate things that are positive. You can also like, I think a positive form of vampirism is like boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, is like knowing when something is dead in your own life that isn't worth reviving. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's a certain level of um, vigor that vampires have about them. When mm-hmm. we think about that archetype is like they're really seductive and mysterious and cool And I think a big part of it comes from their own confidence, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're like untouchable and they know that they know that nobody can kill them. Like (laughs) vampires are like the ultimate manifestation. Oh, yeah. They're the they're the (laughs) it girls. (laughs) They have lucky girl syndrome all the time. Hard lucky girl syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's like, yes, I want that. I and I think if I were if I were to hone in on my inner vampire, but like in a good the good way, then I would oh my gosh. Yeah. Life would be first of all, I would look fabulous all the time. Totally. And that's like, <laughs> I think part of it is beauty, is like allowing yourself to be unapologetically beautiful, mm-hmm. you know? And we know that things that like make us feel good is when we take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. when we like feel like we look our best but also just kind of having a level of unbotheredness so it's like you're doing your version of looking good yep you know but yep. not like letting other people define you yep yeah yeah that just reminds me of the um the scene from van helsing where they're at the ball and i do wait when was the last time you watched van helsing like a while what i know i'm gonna you need to watch you don't I, watch yeah. that it's obviously the Hugh Jackman version yeah. is the best. Clearly. You know, I, I clearly. remember that being, I remember there was like three vampire girlies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His wives. Yes. Well, there's a scene where they're doing, it's a, it's a ball and there's, they're all vampires and they're all gorgeous. Oh, I remember Oh my scene. gosh. Yes. And so like every time we watch the movie, I tell my husband, I'm like, how can I be invited to a ball like that? Like, yeah. How can I, that could just be my yeah. life. <laughs> And it's possible. I went to like for Halloween. I went to this um, haunted stories thing at the like doll museum in Lakewood. <gasps> Ooh, it was really cool. But there was a whole bunch of ladies there that are apparently are part of like the Denver Victorian Society, and they were telling us that they are like always throwing balls and masquerade parties and 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 yeah. So I'm, okay, how can that be I what I do in my pastime? Because that I know <gasps> doesn't that sound cool? Yeah, yeah. I don't have a big enough closet for those kind of dresses, though. Me neither. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's another problem for another time. Storage unit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. (laughs) Okay. um, So this goes back to the Greek vampires. Yes. When I came across this story, I'm like, I love this so much. And I really wanted to share it with, with you and everybody today. So... It apparently there is this, I wouldn't say document, but there is something out there called the scriptures of Delphi. 
Or oh, Delphi. Yes. How do I pronounce that? Delphi? I say Delphi, but okay. I've heard some people. Yeah. Okay. So the scriptures of Delphi, and in it, there's a section that is referenced as the Vampire Bible. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. So, and obviously Amazon doesn't have that. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Clearly, yeah. So obviously I'm still on the hunt. But this has come up several times. Um, and so there's there's one story in particular, um, because apparently this vampire Bible has a variety of different kind of origin stories, right? Yes. So there's one in particular. Um, his name is Ambrosio. And the story goes, so Ambrosio was born and raised in Italy, but he was always wanting to have his fortune told by the Oracle of Delphi. And so when he was old enough, he decided to travel to the great temple of Apollo in Delphi. And Apollo, as you know, is the sun god. Yes. Apollo is not also very, he's a different story. That's a different, that's a different time. Yeah. But that temple was also home of the Pythia which is like the oracles, right? Yes. So Ambrosio goes um, to get his uh, fortune told um, by the, the oracles and the Pythia. What they said to him, <clears throat> they said a few words to him. They said, the curse, the moon, the blood will run. Oh my God. I feel like this is referenced in so many different like movies. Like I feel like... um. Vampire Diaries did that, but continue. Okay, yes. How, like, ominous is that? Like, yeah. that, I would be so upset if that was my reading. So, but yes, this disturbed him so much that he couldn't sleep. He was just like, what does that mean? How is that even a fortune? What, like, he could not make any sense of it. So he spends the night walking around and just obviously not sleeping. And it's just, it's just, you know, rackling his brain. So... He's the next, the next day he's walking back to town. He runs into this woman. Her name is Celine. And I guess she works at the temple. She is one of the maidens that cleans and takes care of the space. And, um, she got that job because her sister is one of the oracles. And so as it goes, obviously boy meets girl, you know, they fall in love. It's just, yep, yep. So Abrogio and Celine, they fall in love. They're having a great time. But Apollo, being the very jealous Gets god jealous. he is, he does not like that Ambrosio is taking Celine away from him. And he, Apollo is like, how dare you take away my maiden? So, of course, as it goes, Apollo curses Ambrosio <laughs> so that he could not go into the sun or it would burn his flesh. So, Ambrosio, of course, uh, decides to go to Hades and get some help because, you know, right. that just makes sense. Um, Hades being Hades, he makes him a deal that Ambrosio would sell his soul to Hades, or I guess Hades was, would hold on to his soul. For what? For, in return, um, Hades would give him a bow with 11 arrows. I don't know what the number 11 means. I mean, it's very important. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, but I don't know. So if anyone knows, let me know. But I read that he gave him 11 arrows. What he wanted to do with that with the bow and the arrows, he was supposed to sacrifice a kill and offer it to Artemis, who is Apollo, Apollo's sister. And that would win her favor. And while she's, I don't know, 
mesmerized or when she's looking over the kill and she's so happy with the sacrifice that Ambrosio was supposed to steal her silver bow and then give that to Hades. And then Hades was going to give him back his soul in return. Wow. But Ambrosio being Ambrosio, apparently he spent those arrows killing swans. No. And writing poetry about Celine in their blood. What? I don't know. I don't know why dumb. that made sense to him, but that's that's what he did with those bows. But somehow he was able to steal the silver bow still from Artemis. However, Artemis did find out about it, and she got pissed, and so she cursed Ambrosio. So then she I cursed she's him. Getting so cursed <laughs> from left and right. Oh my so god! She cursed him so that the touch of silver would burn his skin and cause him great pain. So poor Ambrosio, he's just, he can't go out in the sun. He can't touch silver. He's cursed by two gods at this point. Wow. Um, but Artemis did pity him, decided to kind of give him one final shot to kind of like make things right. So she decided to make him a great hunter with sharp fangs, give him the speed and strength of a god, and this would allow him to kill his prey and he would be able to continue writing his weird bloody poetry. Oh my God. For his love for Celine. But it meant that he had to give up Celine and only worship Artemis. Because, yeah, gods, you know, they're jealous gods. So <laughs> the story just keeps going. It, it just keeps like getting more dramatic. Yeah. So Ambrosio decides just no way. So he decides to sneak away with Celine and they go. Across the seas, they go live in caves until, you know, they get, you know, old and all that stuff. But eventually, Celine does grow old and she does get ill. So Artemis comes back into the picture and gives Ambrosio one last chance to be with Celine. By she gives him the chance to touch her just one more time. But by touching her, what he has to do is he has to drink her blood and then it's it's kind of like this like eternal like you will be connected forever and you know this whole thing like you won't lose each other so i guess when that happened when ambrosio touched celine drank her blood her body lit up raised into the heavens and in and when she was raising up she met artemis at the moon and celine became the goddess of moonlight and every night she reaches down to touch ambrosio and all the newly created vampires. I don't, I, again. That's so cool. This is what the vampire Bible said. And I feel like that is a great dramatic story. That's a great dramatic <laughs> story. Also, where are these new vampires living? I don't know. That's what I want to know. Like, at the, please tell me if you've seen a vampire before, listeners. <laughs> and where did you find them? Not that I want to become a vampire, but it's like, I just... If they do exist, where are they? Where's Celine touching her new vampires? Where are they? Know. Where are they being held and caressed at night? But it's almost kind of like the story of not only like the creation of vampires in a way because they can't go in the sunlight and mm -hmm. the silver, you know, all that kind of stuff, but also like almost like the story of werewolves. No, exactly. And so then, again, it kind of goes into that connection of vampires and werewolves and why mm -hmm. they're always kind of like in each other's stories. Yeah. Because it's like that constant battle, almost like 
a constant battle of love mm-hmm. and like the attention of Celine, the goddess of moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And that's why I love that story. That the Greeks story. have very interesting stories. They really do. <laughs> they really do. And it's very layered too. Yes. It's always like a soap opera. Cause sometimes when I read other like mythological stories, it's always just like, and this thing exists and that's that. <laughs> but like with the Greeks, it's always like this full layer of like how they came about, you know, the Greeks. But that's not it. <laughs> just like, and there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to get real traumatized here in a little bit. And yeah. it's, yeah, I, I really liked it. And so that's why I wanted to, to share that story because, and I know we have other stories of, of other vampires and other um, monsters down the road. Um, and we'll definitely be doing episodes of, of those different monsters and creatures. Um, but at least wanted to throw in a little, little love for, from our guy, uh, Ambrosio and, um, just kind of talk about that just cause as I was researching and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. This is so awesome. And, um, I love a good story. Oh, same. Yeah. And the Greeks, they've definitely mastered the yep. art of storytelling. Yep. Yeah. No, that was a good taste, and we do have more coming up. Lilith, mm-hmm. which is definitely a high icon. Um, we have more stories of vampires, but that's the thing is that, like, yeah, story vampire stories about vampires are are kind of always connected to to werewolves, cannibals, zombies, witches. Mm-hmm. Like those, that's like the the main thing that they're always connected to. So, yep, I feel like. There's going to be a lot of different interesting, interesting characters for mm-hmm. this too, you know. Yep. So. And then with Lilith, Lilith, you know, kind of talking about like the female succubus. Oh yeah. The male incubus. There's just it can that's all connected, yes. and so you can't like start with one and then like not touch on the other ones. And so I'm excited because in our research about vampires, that's how Lilith came up for me. And you've already known about Lilith. Um, but I'm excited because we're going to spend an entire episode just kind of talking yeah. about her. So, and what an icon yeah. she is. Mm-hmm. No, truly. Yeah. And all of these stories are connected. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not one that's completely disconnected from the other, which makes it even more interesting when we apply it to our own sort of magical practices, knowing that all of these different stories that we hear are different layers to our own self. And how can we apply it? Um, just knowing about stories of, Lilith has definitely shaped my practice mm-hmm. of of how I work. Um, but even just like hearing about vampires. So with this episode, how do you take it in your own magical practice? Knowing or understanding now that vampires aren't necessarily a bad thing inherently. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all what you decide to do with it. And there's this book that I've been reading um, called the vampire sanguinomicon which is the lexicon of the living vampire by father sebastian and he kind of talks about how to apply vampiric magic in such a way that is truly benefiting yourself in an ethical manner Mm -hmm. which is something that we kind of think can't exist together when we think about vampires we we don't think about ethics really coming into play but I think that's how it is with all of these different le- levels of spirituality and magic. It's really how you 
how you hold yourself and what you do with it. Because if, if, if vampires were such an awful thing, why would all of us feel so drawn to it? Why would we? Exactly. Yeah. Why would we as a culture and kind of as a globe seemingly all have a deep fascination with it? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, the Christian explanation of we just have an obsession with our own evil mm -hmm. isn't really good enough. It doesn't, mm -mm. it doesn't explain it really. I think a lot of it is just the self-denial mm. um, that we've been doing and we've been doing it for such a long time that once we kind of acknowledge like our own wild nature, our own um, seductive nature, our own creative because that's the thing about blood is it always represents creativity mm -hmm. in our own inner fire mm -hmm. so whenever we really are in touch with our own inner fire i think that's when that sort of like the the glamour of the vampire can really come out within ourselves is when we're really in touch with our creative sides mm -hmm. and are unapologetic confident not scared to say no to to have boundaries with people mm-hmm so, um, in a magical practice, I think kind of maybe in a meditation, envisioning what would you be like if you were a vampire? What would your ideal vampire self look like, you know? And kind of start aligning accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I think about the vampire that I want to be, I think she's super cool. <laughs> First off, she's super cool. She's super cool. <laughs> She's rad. She's, you know, creative, plays music, mm -hmm. makes art, like, very in touch with own personal style, very fashion-oriented, um, very confident, and is, like, loves to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, I think about me, if I were a vampire, I'd always be learning languages. Mm -hmm. I'd be playing music. I'd be making art. I'd be wearing really cool clothes and I would be like, I don't know, living a very, not necessarily, I don't envision necessarily a luxurious lifestyle, but I envision myself living a lifestyle where I can go out and do things without financial stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So how do we manifest our best vampire life? Well, I think that's the first step. It's, it's kind of acknowledging <laughs> like if the vampire is your alter ego. Mm-hmm. How do we, yeah, how do we manifest our alter ego into becoming our true identity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of it just has to do with boundary work mm -hmm. um, and truly understanding what is that blood in your life mm -hmm. that is like life giving, that is fulfilling, that is nourishing. What, what, what excites you really? Yeah, because in a way we are trying to find that life-giving almost like that that passion that drive yeah the the life-giving force we're trying to find that in other people mm -hmm. and so how can we like if, you know you see somebody who is living that life that you want to be living how do you not drain it how can you embrace it and find that source for yourself yeah yeah definitely well, with that being said, we definitely have more that we'd like to talk about this topic and go into more of the mythos surrounding this and more of like specific magical rituals that um, you can do surrounding it. But this is kind of 
a little taste of everything. We had a charcuterie board of vampires today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So expect to hear more episodes of that from us. And in the meantime, stay curious. Stay curious. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Spiritual Curiosity Podcast. I am Paloma. And I am Haley. We are so thankful for each and every one of you. In the next episode, we are going to continue our series discussing Chapter 1 of The Women Who Run With the Wolves. Yeah, and also keep an eye out for us to continue talking about the topic of vampires Check us out on Instagram, the Spiritual Curiosity Pod. Also, we have a TikTok, the Spiritual Curiosity Pod. We have linked below all the books that we sort of referenced and um, any other materials we referenced as well. But in the meantime, stay stay curious. curious.